Thank you. Uh, I'm actually going to invite Sydney and Rob up. Um, so when, yeah, you can, you can give them a hand. They deserve a hand. So when I, when I was thinking about hope and, and how to talk about it um, in my own life, um, you know, my wife and I have a, a, a pretty fun story of, of long distance dating and the hope that we had to have there. And then I thought, well, if it's a comparison game, Sydney and Rob are going to win <laughs> in terms of long distance dating. So I should have them come up. And so um, this is weird having you behind. Um, so I thought I'd have them come up and we would uh, kind of talk through a little bit about their story. What I remember from your guys' story um, <clears throat> is obviously from, from this side of things, being, being here in the States of Colorado with, with, with Sydney, um, she meets this guy uh, online, I think through Instagram, was that, is that right? Uh, or or was, uh, through photography, sorry, which is, which is, which is Instagram, isn't it? Is it? <laughs> through photography, excuse me. Um, this is why they're here, to correct the story. Um, and and they, they kind of started talking, they started dating, they spent some time going back and forth with each other, um, and then came the inevitable engagement. Um, Sydney got engaged out in, um, in England, where Rob's from, um, and then the day that she flew back here was the day that everything shut down, and they didn't allow travel anymore. Um, and, and I remember in, in my mind just thinking, I don't know how they're going to do this. Because for me, waiting four weeks to see Aubrey was hard and difficult. Um, and there was just no knowing when you were going to see each other. Um, and so in terms of having to, to, to live through hope um, in terms of their relationship with each other, uh, I thought it'd be kind of fun to, to hear a little bit more um, from them. Would you, would you add anything to your, your origin story to that, that I missed? That was pretty good. That was a pretty good summary. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell us a little bit about so, so you get engaged, um, but then you literally don't know when the next time you're going to see each other is. What, what was that like for you guys? Well, we got engaged February of 2020, right before the world lost its head um, with COVID. And it was like really scary because we got engaged like the 26th of February, and then I went home in March. And Something that we had discussed together, um, being long distance, is like planning a trip ahead of time just so that we know like the next time we're going to see each other and we, we can mark a date on the calendar and mm -hmm. there's some expectation there. And to go home in the world to be like, okay, we have to stay home, there's no travel, like that was kind of scary and we're like, oh, this will last a couple weeks and then <laughs> it didn't, <laughs> it lasted a long time, but... I don't know if Rob wants to. It was, it was different. Obviously, you, you could visit England, but I couldn't oh, come right. out to America during COVID. I don't know why that was, just part of the rules. But um, So I, obviously, when I first met Sydney in September of 2019, um, I hadn't been out since I moved out in January this year. So that was kind of a, a crazy... Yeah, just very crazy. <laughs> very crazy time, yeah. Yeah, very surreal and just a, a leap of faith, really. Mm -hmm. in some sense so, yeah so i mean were there were there moments that you you wondered will i ever see them again what was that like i don't i don't think for me though i never thought about um that question because I, I was like covid was great in england like, <laughs> i was i was off work i was the government was paying me um i was back at home with my parents and it was, the weather was good as well. We had some sun, actually. So, uh, 
It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, so, <laughs> although I did miss Sydney, as you can tell. So for me, it was, like, it was a time for me to spend time with my family and like, live back at home for the last few, um, for a year or so. So for me, it was, I saw that as a time just being precious and enjoying that moment. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But your experience was a little different from our conversations. <laughs> In hindsight, it was a really cool time that Rob got to spend with his family. Yeah. And like, I, that's wonderful. Like the fact that he, because of COVID, you got to move home and spend all that time with them and get closer to them was like amazing. Um, but yeah, what was the question again? <laughs> so uh, like moments where you just wondered, am I ever going to see him again? Like, yeah. is this ever going to actually work out and happen? Um, it's a weird feeling of like, being able to be so free here and like go wherever you want. And it didn't matter in this moment with COVID and like being shut down, it was like, you didn't matter how much money you had or anything, like you could have all the time and all the money in the world and you still couldn't see each other. Mm -hmm. And that was a weird experience of not having any control over anything, which I struggle with. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As I don't know, I'm gonna go into the Enneagram. I'm seven on the Enneagram and so, for me, like, expectations of things in the future are very important to me. And I didn't have that. So it was like, yeah, I'm dang it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, like, hard to navigate, you know, even coming to church and seeing people. or mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just, like, a very hopeless time. And, like, leading on the Lord a lot and on friends a lot, it was... It was hard. Meanwhile, everybody you see is asking you the same question yes. over and over again. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. So what? So what kept you going? What kept you hoping in those moments? Well, we had applied for a special visa. It's called the K-1 visa, which any of you have seen 90 Day Fiance, <laughs> that's the visa. <laughs> um, and I don't know, like putting your faith in how quickly the government can do things is not a good thing to put your faith into. <laughs> it was a little more than 90 days, wasn't it? It was a lot more than yeah. 90 days. We're talking like two years. <laughs> so waiting for that was really tough of not knowing when and like all the legal stuff and yeah. Yeah, yeah same. Yeah, same. So, so as, we, as we wrap up, I wonder if each of you would be willing to like to describe the moment, right, when, right, you, you finally, you, you get here to the States, you know it's all going to work out, you see each other after not seeing each other for a long time. What was that emotion like? Weird. Weird? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like I said, I, I, I'd visited in 2019, and then I was moving out, so it was like a big, a big step for me. Um, but like part of the reason it felt less scary was like community. I got to know Sydney's friends and family. Um, that that's a big part to me. It's not just Sydney. It's Sydney's family. It's Sydney's uh, friends and church life and stuff like that. That's that's what life's about. So cool. Yeah, that made it a lot easier for me. So. Yeah. Well, you said what kind of emotions? What was that like? Well, when we finally got our visa back and that he had it, it was like, 
such a relief. <laughs> we could actually plan things. It was great. We could plan a wedding. <laughs> um, we could plan about the future. We weren't in this like weird limbo of like, well, I know we're going to get married someday, but it could be five years from now. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. So it was just a huge relief yeah. being able to plan and hope for the future, finally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you guys for, for sharing. I, I appreciate that. So as we talk about like honest Advent, right, and, and I'm, I'm obviously, you keep saying figured out I'm talking about hope today. Um, there's, there's an aspect of hope that, that isn't always fun. It isn't always enjoyable. In fact, hope kind of means that you, you don't really know when it's going to happen. You don't know when it's going to come to fulfillment. You just know that it will. Um, and so I appreciate um, you guys kind of sharing your, your story because you kind of went through all that. As we talk through the next couple of weeks, the different uh, themes of Advent, uh, we're going off of that John 1 passage, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, one of the cool translations of that passage is from The Message um, by Eugene Peterson. And um, at one point, he says, uh, and God moved into the neighborhood. And I want you to remember that phrase, and God moved into the neighborhood, because it's going to be something that we're going to continue to come back to over the next couple of weeks. I specifically, in talking about hope, um, want to start with, with uh, kind of a little excerpt of that John 1 that, that Ryan read, um, and this will come through the message. It says this, What came into existence was life, and the life was light to live by. The life light blazed out of the darkness, and the darkness couldn't put it out. The life light was the real thing every person entering life he brings into light. And the contrast of light is darkness. And Ryan's going to talk a little bit more about this um, and that metaphor of darkness later on. Um, but for our purpose today, um, I want to equate darkness with also hopelessness, right? That feeling in a circumstance um, where you can't see the way out. You're overwhelmed. Everywhere you look, you see darkness. It's just chaos. It's hopelessness. And what happens at Jesus' birth is the exact same thing that happens at the creation of the world. Light. So prior to Jesus' birth, um, theologians uh, call it the silent period. It was this time where God kind of stopped speaking to the people. And I want to imagine for a moment what that was like. Right? So your whole life, um, you, you've been referred to stories, or your whole history of your people, in fact, um, is just story after story after story of God speaking through people to tell you what's going on. And one of the most common things that God continues to say over and over again to the people of Israel is that I am the one who rescued you from Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And this is repeated over and over and over in the Old Testament. And so you're constantly reminded of God's deliverance. You're constantly reminded that you can be confident in what God will do because of what God has done. So even when things get kind of dicey, like you're, you're going to be captive in Babylon for who knows how long, um, you still know that God delivered you once and God's going to deliver you again. And so you're used to hearing these things over and over again, then all of a sudden, silence. And silence is uncomfortable when we don't choose it. So we can imagine what these people, the people of Israel, felt when they're used to hearing from God over and over again, and then all of a sudden there's nothing. We can imagine the sense of hopelessness, the sense of wondering, are all these stories actually true? 
Is God going to deliver us from the hands of the Romans who are occupying us right now? Even our leaders are in Rome's pockets at this point. How can we trust that this is all going to work out? And then, light. If we could throw the picture, um, yes, that one, um, back up. When I was reading through the book, Honest Advent, um, that we, I'd encourage you guys all to pick up um, to go through with us, um, I was struck by this picture. And I'm not usually um, struck by artistic things. Um, I'm more of a words guy. But I, 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 I looked at this picture and I just stopped. And so I wanted to take a moment to just reflect on this. You notice that on, on one end, um, in the candle, um, that's the symbol for the Trinity. Okay, so on the left candle, you have the symbol for the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and then they're all connected in the middle. And then the right candle um, is uh, a picture of um, at least part of the world um, that we have. And they're joined together by the light, um, and in the light is a little baby. And this is the first time since Eden, right, that the Trinity in its entirety is being united with the world. And they're united by this light, um, this baby um, that is the light. And so this is the moment when God moves into the neighborhood. So in his chapter uh, that he associates with this picture, the author emphasizes Isaiah 9-6, right? A common uh, Christmas verse, for unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given. But he italicizes the first word, for, and the last word, given. And so he creates this picture of forgiven in the verse, and it, because it bookends each verse. And I think this is a good reminder for us to know of the moment when God rescued us with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Just like the Israelites are constantly reminded of God's rescuing from Egypt, we're constantly uh, reminded in the New Testament of God's rescuing us through the incarnation and ultimately the cross of Christ. But what I love most about this passage and the way that this author does this is it's in past tense. See, I grew up in a very conservative denomination. Um, so conservative um, that there were certain expectations about how we dressed on any given Sunday. I was expected to wear a tie every single Sunday. And one day I decided not to wear a tie. And I showed up and one of the elders pulled me aside because he was very concerned that I was backsliding. I wonder what he'd say today. <laughs> but the reality is, 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 is this was the God that I grew up believing in, a God that was, 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 was full of retribution um, and could punish me at any point. I, I genuinely believed and lived my life in a way that I thought if I was not perfect, I was probably going to go to hell. That's the God that was presented to me. And so I lived my life with, with what uh, theologians call um, a gospel of sin management, right? Just trying to do enough good things to outweigh the bad, right? Always focusing on those kind of things um, so that I could be right with God. In fact, I was in counseling uh, my freshman year of college, and the grad student that I was seeing um, finally pointed out to me, she said, how come every time something good happens to you, it's God, but every time something bad happens, it's your fault, and it still stings a little bit. Because as I dive into Scripture, what I'm realizing more and more and more is that sin management is far from the truth that Scripture gives us. The salvation that comes to us through Christ is a past event that we are currently living in. 
It's done, not do. We do not live good lives because we hope to earn the right um, to have the light of eternal life. We live good lives because the light of the world lives in us, making us lights as well. This summer I talked about faith um, and how faith is, is, is being certain, knowing something is true because of its reliability. Um, and we have an overwhelming amount of evidence for our faith. It lets us know who Jesus was, what Jesus did, how it impacts us. And so faith lends itself to hope because of what we know. And I think that's what's meant in Hebrews 11.1 1, where the author says, Now faith is being confident in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. We have confidence because our faith tells us what is true. Because we have truth, we can hope even in the darkest of times where we can't see. Hope comes from what we know. And Jesus, in Matthew 5.14, tells us, you are the light of the world. So the one that we know because of our faith, because we are a trust in Scripture, is the light of the world, tells us that we are also lights of the world. This means that we are bringers of hope to people in a lost, confused, dark, chaotic world. And I think when we focus on this idea of earning forgiveness rather than just accepting it as part of our faith history, we also tend to see people for their potential to earn salvation. It makes, us easier, it, makes it easier for us to write people off as outsiders. And this was true. There's a ministry I started working with at one point in my life. Um, and on the first day, um, we had started off with a worship service and we were broken into small groups to talk about the vision. And the vision came from Psalm 91. And I remember I'm sitting with my coworkers talking about like, what's the most impactful like, statement in Psalm 91? And one of my coworkers um, said, well, it's verse 8, which reads, you will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. And they remarked that they take great comfort that those who don't put their faith in Christ will be punished in hell forever. And I laughed because I thought they were joking. They weren't joking. <laughs> and even though we may not be as blunt or calloused as, as this person was, I do wonder if that's a little bit of the attitude that we have in us when we write people off based on how they act. You take the shepherds, for instance. Um, they provide a great example of an entire people group who um, were kind of outcasted by those who were right with the Lord. Right, the job of the shepherd is not the same in Jesus' day as it was in King David's. And it was really reserved for the people that couldn't cut it. Right, so a young boy would first try their hand at religious schooling. And if they couldn't hack it, well, then they'd have to learn a trade, carpentry, stonemasonry, something like that. If they couldn't hack that, then they are destined to be lonely and live a separate life as a shepherd. Shepherds were rumored in this day to be thieves. They stole from people using other people's land and resources as their own because they were just out there doing their thing. They were dirty loners that didn't interact much with society. And they were also suspected of breaking certain Levitical codes. They did not deserve the announcement of the birth of the Savior. They were outside the kingdom of God. The fact that God's glory is shown to a bunch of rejects within the people of God, should cause us to pause and ask, why? But I think if we look throughout Israel's history, we find that this actually isn't very uncommon. 
We can look to Jesus' genealogy, first and foremost, to see five clear examples of outcasts who are part of the glory of God. Starting with Tamar. She was married um, to, to two different brothers. Both ended up dying. Um, and then through a mistaken identity, uh, she ends up marrying her father-in-law, Judah, who we trace Jesus' lineage back to. Rahab was a prostitute in a foreign land. Um, she lied to her government in order to save Israel's spies. Um, and then therefore was the only person who was saved when Israel ransacked um, their town. Jesus is her descendant. Ruth was a Moabite, a descendant from an incestuous relationship between Lot and one of his daughters. Um, in fact, marrying a Moabite was strictly forbidden um, and prohibited in Israel's laws. Yet it happened. She married Boaz, and they're related to Jesus. Bathsheba uh, was part of King David's most public offense, included adultery, murder, punishment from God, and a lineage of terrible mistakes made by his sons. And yet, she is also linked to Jesus' genealogy. And finally, Mary. Now, we know that everything was on the up and up with Mary and her pregnancy, but there's no way that anyone other than Joseph and their cousins Elizabeth and Zechariah believed the whole virgin birth story at first. So God has a habit of appearing and using outcasts for furthering the kingdom. This is something that's commonplace. And I wonder if that's why one of the most prevalent commands that we see over and over again in Scripture is to take care of the foreigner, the widow, and the orphan among you. And if God consistently includes outcasts, maybe it's time for us to stop worrying about who's in and who's out. You know, maybe you've heard the quote um, that uh, we, you'll be surprised at who you see in heaven and you'll be surprised at who you don't see. But based on what we see in Scripture, I don't know that we should be surprised. Sidney and Rob's story, to me, embodies the tension between hope and darkness. Because they knew of their love for each other. They knew it was true. They knew that one day they would be married. They would be married. That, that wasn't a question. But there's times of doubt. Right? Were you not in control? There's times of worry. There's times of depression. There's times of sadness. And I'm sure there's times where they wonder, are, is this ever going to actually happen? And this is the exact position that we all find ourselves in as we wait for the coming kingdom of Christ to overtake the chaotic world that we currently live we know heaven is arriving, in part, and eventually heaven will be coming in full. And we'll be part of it based on what Jesus did on the cross. And yet we have to live in the chaos and darkness of this world. Uh, there, there's a group that I, that I um, am affiliated with that it's common to hear the phrase, uh, come Lord Jesus. But they only say it after um, really tragic events, right? So mass shooting happens, come Lord Jesus. The mental health crisis with our teenagers, come Lord Jesus. Wrong official gets elected, come Lord Jesus. And at surface value, you think, yeah, right? That, that makes sense because when Jesus comes back, suffering, pain, that's going to be no more. So yes, come Lord Jesus. But, but at the core of what this group is saying is really an errant view of what's going to happen um, to the earth. You see, they view the coming of Jesus as something that's going to happen when the world finally gets out of control. The world gets bad enough, so bad enough, that Jesus has to come back. 
the more chaos that's in the world, the quicker Jesus is going to return. Right? They point to it as, as, as like the end times that are happening because things are getting so bad. They are rooting for chaos and suffering and terrible things to happen because that means that Jesus will come back and they won't have to deal with it anymore. It's like their desire is for the world to get worse so that they can be more comfortable. But that's not the message of Scripture. In fact, Scripture emphasizes the physical resurrection and restoration of the earth that we currently live. And when you look, you see that God's emphasis on the physical aspects of of our humanity is emphasized all throughout Scripture, right? Humans are made in the image of God, physically in the image of God. The Holy Spirit indwells humans and calls us temples. God, or in the Hebrew Elohim, appears in human form throughout the Old Testament. God takes on human form in Jesus. God raises Jesus to life again in his physical body and takes him um, out of this world in human form. And if the physicality matters this much to God that we see it over and over again, then I think what it tells us is that what we do in this life actually matters. It won't be lost when Jesus comes back, but will continue into fulfillment. You'll see that the good that you do will continue to pay out dividends as we live like Jesus doing what he did, not just now, but for all eternity. Um, this last year, I had an experience with the students that I work with. Um, I, was, I was a high school uh, Bible teacher, and um, I, I, I took a group of 20 students who were brand new to our, our private school, and I said, let me, let me take them through like an intro to Christianity. And I got the whole year with them. And I can't shake the experience that I had with them. Because when we talked about questions, big life questions, like what gives you purpose? Where do you find value? Um, these were rich discussions that they were really excited about. And then we started talking about the gospel of Mark and verses like, come and take up your cross and follow me. And they were like, nah, fam, I'm good. And I didn't understand. So I went back to my default. And I taught them about original sin and how we're all sinners deserving nothing but death and internal punishment. And they asked me, they said, wait, do you think you actually deserve to go to hell? I said, yeah, I'm a sinner just like everyone else. And they responded and said, you're like the best person we know. If you can't do it, what hope do we have? And that's the gospel of sin management, right? And in and out thinking. And it wasn't attracted to them at all. It was complete crazy talk. So I changed my tactic. And I started talking about heaven. And we talked about how when heaven is invading this world and how when we live like Jesus did, we get to experience eternity now. And all of a sudden, their tune changed. And they said, that's something that I can get behind. We finished the year by studying uh, the book of Revelation. We actually listened to the whole book in a dramatic reading and then followed along um, and discussed it. And as we ended, we talked and we dreamed about what life on earth could be like if we lived now how we know we'll be living in the future. And in Revelation 21, verse 2 through 4, we, we, we heard this earlier today. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will, with them, will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. We live in the tension of expecting the final coming of Jesus where all this happens. And until that time, realizing that we are the lights, the hope amidst the darkness, the chaos, the pain, and suffering. So how do we do that? Growing up, I was taught that it was all about getting people saved. Right? Knowing the right things to say to convince somebody to put their faith in Jesus, to pray a prayer. But we live in a world that doesn't think they need saving. We also live in a world that longs for something different. That's attracted to Christianity because of the hope it offers. A different now as well as a different then. So I wonder, what do you do as a follower of Jesus that makes others pause and think, I could get on board with that? You don't have to know a lot of theology. You don't have to know how to present the gospel. You just have to know that Jesus is in you and that you represent Jesus to a world that's desperately begging someone to show them a different way. And so I wonder where we are radiating hope to a world that desperately needs it. And if we take what Jesus says seriously, if Christ is in us, then we know that God has moved into our neighborhood because God lives in us and we live in that neighborhood. So as we celebrate the coming of the light of the world, may we also celebrate our going out as a continuation of that light to a world that's lost. In darkness. Let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for what you've done to, to, to place yourself in us, to, to give us the responsibility of carrying your light to a world that needs it. Lord, may we see, even today as we go, uh, ways that we can show others how we can live now, what life will be then. May people look at us as a people and wonder what's different. May they want the hope that we have in you so that we may be able to share honestly with them where it comes from. Pray these things in your son's name. Amen.